Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church family. It is great to see all of you. My name is Barrett Bowden. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Island Community Church, and I don't know about you, but I have been a blubbering mess this morning. Did anybody cry during the baptism videos? Um, It's okay if you did it, but I definitely did, and I'm still in recovery a little bit. Um, I'm just so thankful for the testimony, the simple testimony of these two children who've been baptized today, and uh, just took me back to my own simple need before the Lord. And what a joy it is um, to just know Jesus and to trust him. And uh, what a refreshment. I could, uh, we could literally just go home after what we just experienced. Um, and part of me is tempted to just be like, and we're dismissed. Um, but I'm not gonna do that. Um, I want you this morning, if you've got your Bible, to turn it open to the book of Lamentations. And today, we're going to be um, in Lamentations chapter 3 as we continue in our series called Brokenness and Hope, and our journey through the book of Lamentations. And I'm thrilled this morning about the opportunity we have to continue this series. Of course, we've been talking again and again about lament, um, which is something often that we don't square honestly with our need for uh, personally and even corporately as a church. And over the last months, we've been really working to grow in more honesty about how much we need lament and what a gift it is, a gift from God that it is, an invitation from God himself for us just to learn to relate to him in the sadnesses of life, in the sorrows of life, in the dark days of life, in our questions, in our doubts, in our discouragement, even in our depression, in moments that feel just really broken, really confusing, really overwhelmingly hard. We've been learning to journey with God in those spaces, spaces that we often keep tucked away. We don't bring to the surface much in our community, in our relationships with other people. We don't know even how to bring it to the surface much if we're honest in our relationship with God. And this invitation of lamentations is to journey with God in those hidden and often dark and really difficult spaces of our hearts, of our stories, of our experience, of even today. And so if you're here today and you feel broken on the inside, you're here today and you've been through some stuff, I just wanna remind you again that God loves you, he cares for you, and he invites you to journey with him as you learn how to relate to him through lament. We've been talking about lament as, again, how we bring our sorrow to God. And the image I used a few weeks back was that of the Mississippi River Bridge here in Memphis, uh, connecting one side to the other. In a way, uh, lament is kind of like that bridge for us. It is the biblical pathway that God has provided for us to engage him in our grief. It is the very thing that God has given us as a tool as we journey with him in relationship with him and as we walk with him in faith. It is a bridge to connect from our broken places and heart and life to God and who he is and what he offers to us. And all of us have been again and again, week after week, admitting this is an area where I really need to grow. 
I really need to learn how to lay out my pain. I need to learn how to lay out my questions. And I need to learn how to lay out my struggles before the Lord. And I need to do that in my church community. Too often, church is a place where we hide those things and we feel like we gotta come in and as soon as somebody says, how are you? The answer that you're supposed to give is, I'm good, how are you? And we've been learning not only how to relate to God in greater honesty, but how to relate to others in greater honesty. And I'm just so grateful for this journey together. Well, today, as we've been journeying through week by week in the series, if you've been tracking with our our chart, our plan uh, of how to approach this book today, we're going to be talking about choosing to trust. So if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope you will, uh, the title of today's message is Choosing to Trust. And I'm really excited about it because honestly, as we start into chapter three, chapter three is really the apex of the whole book of Lamentations. Of course, Lamentations being very poetic in nature, written by the Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah at a time of great national suffering that the people of God were going through as they were held captive uh, in Babylon. And uh, we talked about the difference of Job and Lamentations being Job is very personal. Uh, Jeremiah is lamenting on behalf of a people. But as we turn the corner into chapter three, what we see is really the climax of the book. It's the pinnacle. It's the anchor of this book. And it leads us to some of the most precious and honestly, some of the most familiar truths of the book of Lamentations. I would guess that for many of us, Before we started this journey together as a church, walking through the book verse by verse, chapter by chapter, probably the thing you knew the most about the book of Lamentations was the passage that we've been reading week after week, right before the start of preaching. From Lamentations chapter three, starting in verse 19. And if you don't mind, would you just read this with me? We've been hearing it week after week, but we haven't read it together. So let's read it together. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. How many of you had heard that passage before at some point in your life before we started this journey of Lamentations? Yeah, many, many of you, right? So it's probably the most familiar of all of it, but probably you didn't know that the setting for that passage, you know, a lot of us, uh, I think Mark Vargrip in his book talks about the fact that often we think about the setting of this particular verse as like a Thomas Kincaid painting. Anybody familiar with the Thomas Kincaid paintings? If you're a child of the 90s, maybe you know that uh, a little bit more. But the idyllic, you know, cabin in the woods with the beautiful fall setting and there's a fire going in the fireplace. It's wonderful coffee sitting on the table and it just looks amazing and you're just sitting and going, oh wow, isn't God great? And many of us, perhaps, before we started into this journey of the book, that was the idea you had of the setting of this particular set of verses. 
But what we've been learning is that the setting of these precious and truth-filled verses is actually a very broken place. It's a time where everything feels dark, everything feels confusing, everything feels completely bewildering and messed up and hard and painful. And yet, the apex of the book here in chapter three is presented to us. And today, and then next week, I'm gonna present a two-part explanation and contemplation on this chapter, chapter three. Today, I wanna focus on what it looks like to choose to trust God in the midst of our sorrows. And then next week, what I wanna focus on from the same chapter is the opportunity we have to dare to hope in God in the midst of our pain and sorrows. So consider it a two-parter, and I'm expecting to see you back next week. I'm excited about that, all right? But this morning, we're gonna be focusing on choosing to trust. Now, if you remember last week, and hopefully, again, we'll take notes together this morning, but if you remember last week, we were looking at asking boldly, and I told you that that's the real turning point in our journey with God in the midst of difficulty is when we get to the point of desperation. Desperation and dependence upon God, where we get to the point where we cry out, oh God, I need you in the midst of circumstances and situations in life where it all feels like it's caving in, where it's all out of control, where it's all difficult, where it's overwhelmingly painful. Getting to that point, oh God, I need you, that's a turning point. But today, and what I wanna teach you in choosing to trust is what I'll call a transformation point. Many before me have considered it this, and I quote again from Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies, which I've quoted from several times in the series. It's out at our resource library. If you'd like to read it, I continue to recommend it. But Mark Vaugrup, as he writes, says this. This, speaking of chapter three, is where biblical lament is transformative. It not only gives voice to the pain that you feel, but it begins to anchor your heart in truths that you believe or are trying to believe when dark clouds linger. So this morning, we're gonna be looking at number six in our journey to learn to lament. We've learned five principles of lament up to this point. We've been looking at characteristics of biblical lament, and number six I wanna introduce to you this morning, and it's quite simple. It comes straight from the title of the message, and it's it's this. In lament, we bring our trust to God. In lament... As you're learning to walk with God in the midst of your sorrows, your frustrations, your discouragements, your questions, your complaints, in those places of life, God invites you to come to him and bring to him from the bottom of your heart, trust. What a fitting day for us to be talking about trust on a day that we just saw two little children baptized who both with sincere and childlike faith told you about the moment that they knew that they needed God and then turned to Jesus and said, and I trusted him. That is what a God invites from each of us this morning. A simple yet deep and profound 
expression of faith. A moment where you take your tightly clenched fist and you release them and you hand over to God your situation and you hand over to God your whole self and you say to God, I trust you. And lament, we bring our trust to God. And I've been showing you um, those characteristics of lament. We've been looking at those. Uh, they're, they're found. You can look at uh, theological scholarship to find these. You can look at organizations like the American Bible Institute and their uh, wonderful gift to the church at large, trauma healing. Find uh, this same expression. Laments uh, are characterized by seven things. We've been going through these uh, throughout the series, touching on them as we see them in the book of Lamentations, but particularly characteristic seven here, as you've seen this list in previous weeks, this is what we're talking about here, is getting to a point where you go, God, I, I'm going to look away from myself and I'm gonna look to you. And God, I am going to praise you for who you are and I'm going to trust you because of who you are. I'm going to trust you, God. That's what we're talking about here in the passage today. So our main point this morning, and if you're writing, I hope you would consider writing this down, is this. In lament, we express our trust in God, knowing that even when we cannot understand his hand, we can always trust his heart. And lament, the invitation to you from God himself is this. Would you come and trust me? And even though right now you may not understand the, what is happening around you, you may not understand the reasons for what you're going through, here's what I'm asking you. Would you trust my heart? And lament, we express our trust in God knowing we're sure of this, that even though we cannot understand his hand, we can trust his heart. It's interesting uh, the chapter as it reads, and we're going to read it right now, Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But as it reads, you'll notice that it begins very much in the place that we've been in the last two chapters. Brokenness, complaint, confession, submission. But then it moves to this place of trust. I want you to sense it as you read this morning. It kind of moves there as it builds to the passage that we just read together, the verses we just read together that are so familiar to us. And then he kind of moves back into that place of frustration and concern. But then by the end of the chapter, he rebuilds trust again. So let's read it together in the text. I read from the ESV. It's here on the screen if you don't have your Bible in front of you. Starting in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He's driven and brought me in the darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. 
He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and he tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness. He's sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel and he's made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Oh, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled. Let him be filled. For the Lord, with insults, thank you. I was like, I lost my place. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to the God in heaven, we have transgressed and we have rebelled and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You've wrapped yourself with the clouds so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All of our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head and I said, I'm lost. I called on your name, O Lord. From the depth of the pit, you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. 
You came near when I called on you and you said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all of their vengeance, all their plots against me. You've heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. Their lips and the thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. And behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. This morning, in a very simple way, I want to reflect on God's word and talk to you about what it looks like in the midst of your own sorrows, your own pain, your own struggles, your own questions to not only turn to God, but then to trust in him. Choosing to trust. Again, our main point in lament, we express our trust in God knowing that even when we cannot understand his hand, we can always trust his heart. So far, um, did y'all see what I was talking about, about the bookends of chapter three? How it kind of starts in darkness and then it kind of emerges into light and then it kind of moves back into this kind of difficult place and then at the end kind of express confidence God's going to do something. Did y'all see the kind of flow of that? What you notice is these principles that we've been talking about week after week are continuing to emerge even as we are here in the apex chapter, chapter three. So if you've been with us, you know some of these principles so far. Principle one, in lament we bring our brokenness to God. Did you hear that in the chapter? The expression of brokenness. God, I'm not okay, and what I'm going through is not okay. Secondly, in lament we bring our, do you remember the second principle, what is it? Complaints to God, you saw the screen, that was cheating. We bring our complaints to God. That is the only thing that ties together all biblical laments is the characteristic of a complaint. Actually saying to God, God, this is how I feel and this is what I've lost. Being honest about the things that are hard and going to God in that honesty. Did you hear that in chapter three? God, where are you? God, they're coming against me. God, they're talking bad about me. God, they're after my life. God, what are you doing? Complaints. Principle three, of course, was present in the chapter two that we've been talking about in recent weeks. In lament, we bring our confession to God. You heard that as we went through the chapter, how there was an awareness, not only that things were broken on the outside, but also things are broken on the inside how we've got to bring our hearts to God. We've got to pour out our hearts to him. Verse 40, let us test and examine our ways. Let's return to the Lord. Verse 42, we've transgressed and rebelled. There's an awareness in brokenness. Not only is it broken out there, but it's also broken in here. Principle four is also present in the chapter. In lament, we bring our submission to God. We looked at that in recent weeks and talked about how we recognize that God is sovereign. He is God, we learn to pray, and I am not. And at the end of the day, I have to humble myself before him, even and especially in things that I do not understand. And in principle five last week, we learned that we 
in lament, we bring our desperation to God. And you hear this also in this chapter. Oh God, help us. God, I need you. God, I'm crying out to you. God, would you deliver me again and again and again in this chapter? Well, today we move to that sixth principle. And while I could teach all the other principles and they are present in chapter three, the focus of today is this principle number six. And that principle is in lament, we bring our trust to God. We bring our trust to God. And here's what I mean when I say choose to trust. I'll put this on the screen. It means we turn everything in our life and our very selves over to God. And by turn it over, I mean actually turn it over. Like we give it to him. We don't often, like imagine the Bible in my hand is a prayer. We don't offer up a prayer and then we go amen and we, we take the Bible right back. We go to God in prayer. That was last week, principle five. We go to God in desperation. God, here I am. Here's my need. God, I need you. But this principle six is this, is that when we say amen, we leave what we've brought to God in our desperation. We leave it with him. We don't take it back. We release it. We release it completely. The things that concern us, the things that are happening around us, the things that have happened to us, and our own very selves, not only our situations, but our very selves, we bring to God and we release it to him in trust. That's what we're talking about here. And obviously, we're focused primarily in this turning point, this transformation point, starting in verse 19. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the midst of the darkness, he remembers his affliction. His soul is continually remembering it. It's bowed down within him. He is broken. He is humble. He's desperate. And yet... There's a transformation point when he goes, but God, I'm gonna turn it over to you. That's what we're talking about here in the passage. Another way, I wanna just focus on one simple statement for the majority of the time that we have, and it's not much, but in order to understand how to choose to trust, here's what I could offer you. In choosing to trust, here's what it means. We express confidence. We express confidence in who God is and his heart toward us. We're saying to God, God, I know who you are and I know your heart for me. And so God, I'm gonna trust you. Now I get this from the text. I wanna focus first on the phrase who he is. Okay, we focus on who he is. If you look there at Lamentations chapter three, verse 21, he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the hurt, on those days that it feels hard to get out of bed, where you find yourself awake at 2 a.m. tossing and turning, when your heart feels like it's gonna leap out of your chest, or cave in because of pain. 
In these moments, what the prophet Jeremiah is teaching us is this, and it's in this moment that there's an expression needed, that we go to God and say, but God, but God, this I'm gonna call to mind. And what does he call to mind? What, is, what follows there in verse 22? What does he call to mind? He's calling to mind the character of God. This I call to mind. God, this is who you are. And he names three characteristics. We'll look at them. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And in verse 25, he says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Three characteristics, who he is. First, he says, God, I know that your love is steadfast. First characteristic is, he goes, God, God's love is steadfast. I know that. I know that. He uses an important Hebrew word here. I've preached on this many, many times. You've probably heard it if you've been in discipleship here. Hesed. It's a word for the covenant love of God for his people. And he says, God, I know that you're a God that has made covenant to love me. And that covenant is rooted in your character. And God, your character does not change. This is the essence of who you are, God. You are God who loves and you've committed in covenant to love me in Jesus Christ. God, I know that I know that I know, God, you are steadfast in your love. And your love is more than enough for me. The Lord is my portion, he says there in the verse. What does that mean? It means, look, you offer me a glass of wine or the Lord, I'm gonna choose the Lord every time. You offer me a promotion or a, a, what was the lottery this past week, 1.7 billion? You offer me 1.7 billion or the Lord and I'm always gonna choose the Lord. You offer me X, Y, or Z hope or desire of what the world throws at you and I'm, and the Lord, and I'm always gonna choose the Lord. He's saying, the Lord is more than enough for me. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have hope in him. He's saying, the, Lord, the Lord's love for me is more than enough for me. Could you say that? Sometimes it's when Jesus is all you have that you come to realize that Jesus is all you need. And sometimes in suffering, when everything else is stripped from you and all you have, because everything else has been laid bare in your life and all you have is Jesus and his offer to love you, when that's all you have, you will come to recognize his love is all you need. He says, I know you, God. You are steadfast in your love. And secondly, God, I know your mercy. Your mercy never ends. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Here's what I know, friends. After pastoring you, our church family, over the last 12 years, I know that in the midst of suffering, I know that there are days where you go, is God merciful? How could he be merciful and this be happening to me? Really? That's who he is? And that's, this is what I'm going through? Really? 
But Lamentations 3 promises that even under dark clouds, there is a deep mercy. And he says, this mercy will never come to an end for you. It's new every morning. It doesn't mean that these mercies never existed in the past. It just means that like every day when you wake up, there's a new opportunity for God's mercy and for God's grace. Like you will never run to the end of God's mercy. Every day, there's an opportunity for you to experience a fresh renewal of the fullness of the mercy of God. Aren't you grateful that as you look to God, you can go, God, I know, I know, God, that you're committed in covenant with Jesus Christ to me. I know that you love me. I can always bank on that. And God, I know, I know, God, that your mercies will never, ever end. In every area of my need, God, you will move toward me to provide. Aren't you grateful that you can know God in that way? And third, he anchors himself on who God is and he calls to mind the characteristic of God's goodness. God's goodness. If you look at verse 25, he says, the Lord is good to those who wait on him. And he speaks to the faithfulness of God. Great is your faithfulness and the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God is good. He does not afflict from his heart. He is the definition of all that is worthy of approval. He is beautiful and perfect in every way. He bestows good gifts on his children. The essence of goodness, like the world throws at us all this stuff and goes, isn't that good? And you're like, it's good, but it pales in comparison to how good God is. The true essence of goodness is found in the existence of God. God is good, and he's good to those who wait on him. So what it looks like to choose to trust friends is to come to God and express confidence for who he is, who he is. And, and not just who he is, but his heart toward us. And I want to point your attention to verse 33. If you've got your Bibles I want you to just notice what Jeremiah teaches us to do in the midst of our troubles. This is where I get my main point. I didn't just make it up. He says here, though he will cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Again, he's hoping on his mercy. He's hoping in his love. He's recounting who God is, character stuff. And then he says, for... He does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. He does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. This is what I'm trying to say. Even when you cannot understand God's hands, you can trust God's heart. God loves you. How do we know God's heart? 
primarily by looking away from ourself to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I said last week, in one moment when I was leading communion, we do not look at the cross through our circumstances. We look at our circumstances through the cross. What I mean by that is this, that we don't judge God's heart based on what we see circumstantially. We judge God's heart by what we see in the demonstration of him coming for us and living for us and giving himself for us in death and rising again for us in his resurrection after three days and living today for us. We judge our circumstances and we judge our God's heart by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8, how does God show his heart of love for you? God shows and demonstrates his love for you in this, that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. How do you know God's heart for you? Is it the breakup? Is it the cancer? Is it your bank account? Is it your circumstances going exactly like you planned? Is it your grade on your next test? How, how, how do you know God's heart for you? You've got to decide how you're going to evaluate his heart. And I'm telling you, the biblical basis to know God's heart is not by looking around at your circumstance and trying to figure out his heart, but rather by looking at the person of Jesus Christ and looking at his love for you, primarily demonstrated in giving his life for you. If he did not spare his own life for you, then you can know right now in your circumstance that he's not going to spare good for you. He loves you. He is for you. He is not against you. He gave himself for you. You can trust him. He is good. His heart, his heart, his heart is good. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, which I also have recommended on the resource library out there, he says, we turn from God, but God did not abandon us. Only Christianity, of all the world's major religions, teaches that God came to earth in Jesus Christ and became subject to suffering and even death itself. Do you see what this means? Keller asks. Yes. We do not know the reason that God allows evil and suffering to continue or why it's so random. But at least now, we know what the reason is not. Hear me? We don't know why. We don't know the reason why God allows evil and suffering to continue and why it is so random, but at least now, by looking at Jesus, we know what the reason is not. And he goes on, he says, it cannot be that he does not love us. It cannot be that he does not care for us. He is so committed to our ultimate happiness that he was willing to plunge into the greatest depths of suffering himself. He understands us, he has been there, and he assures us that he has a plan to eventually wipe away every tear. So someone might say, but that's only half of an answer to the question of why. 
But Keller says, yes, but it's the half we need. It's the half that we need. God loves us. And his heart is good. And when you go through suffering, what God invites you to do is to trust him. That even though you don't understand his hand and the reasons for what's going on and so broken around you, what you can know is he does not afflict from his heart. And how do you know it? By looking at Jesus Christ. So here's how I want to close this morning. What then do you need to do in the midst of your own suffering? Here's what you got to do. You have to rehearse biblical truth. Here's what I, I, if you were an orchestra, and you're not, and I'm not the conductor, but if you were, I would say we got to show up for practice, okay? We've got to go over the song again and again and again and again until, our, until it's just secondhand nature that we can all play it together. What he's saying is, You've got to go over this biblical truth about who God is again and again and again. You have to affirm in your head and in your heart what is real about God again and again and again. Like Psalm 1, you've got to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. You've got to keep it top of mind in the forefront of your heart. He says there in verse 21, but this I call to mind. That's a rehearsal. He's choosing something in the midst of of the wormwood and the gall, he's saying, but I'm going to choose to set my mind not on my circumstance, but on the character of God and on his heart. He's rehearsing truth. So here's how it goes. Here's how it plays out, all right? This is where it gets practical and then I'm gonna be done. You go to Los Camales. Here's how it plays out. When you're in the midst of your brokenness and suffering and hurt and pain and discouragement and doubts and disillusionment, here's, here's what's going to happen. Feelings are going to come up and here's what you've got to go. You've got to go, this is how I feel, God, but this is who you are. Y'all hearing me? This is how I feel in this moment and he wants your honest feelings. We've gone through this. He wants your brokenness. He wants your complaint. He wants your confession. He wants your submission. He wants your honesty. This is how I feel, God. Bring it to him. Come as you are. But let him lead you somewhere deeper. But God, even though this is how I feel, this is who you are. Another way to say the same thing. This is how I feel, God, but this is what your word says. You're rehearsing biblical truth. This is how I feel, but God, this is what your word says. And I'm gonna declare your word over my feelings. Or another way to say this is, God, this is how I feel, but God, this is what I know is true. This is what it looks like, friends, to lament, to call to mind and therefore have hope, to rehearse what is real about God again and again and again. I read my girls a book very often. Emma asked for it this week. I think I read it to her two times. It's a book by Max Licato. It's called Scaredy Cat. Anybody ever read the book? If you're a parent, maybe you have. In the book, the cat, he goes, I'm not a... I'm a big cat, I'm a strong cat, I'm not a scaredy cat, over and over. And then a monkey jumps out under the table and surprises him, and the cat goes, ah, and finds himself in the corner freaking out, paralyzed, great suffering, or the bath toy squeaks in the bathtub, ah, 
And again and again, though he wants to be a big cat and a strong cat and not a scaredy cat, he finds himself a scaredy cat. And all of us, though, we want to be big and strong. We want to convince ourselves that we're not going to suffer. We're going to make it through it. We're going to have the life that we hope and dream. Inevitably, as you mature and as you live life, you find that the world is broken and you find that you often are a scaredy cat or a weak cat, a struggling cat, a cat paralyzed in fear. And Max Licato in the book brilliantly, again and again and again, in the points of brokenness and suffering in such a childlike way, but a real way to them, they relate to it. Emma always relates to it. He goes, in these times, here's something that I often say. And again and again through the book, here's the thing that comes up. He says, God, you are good. God, you are near. God, you are here. And God, you love me. I'm a big cat. I'm a strong cat. I'm not a scaredy cat. Trumpets play on a band out the street. Ah! And Lakato brings us back again. But when that happens, I find that I come back, find this prayer helpful. God, you are good. God, you are near. God, you are here. And God, you love me. Some of y'all might find yourself reading children's book more. You kind of like this, don't you? This is a child's book. What is this child's book teaching little Emma Grace to rehearse biblical truth? That in the moments of fear, in the moments of weakness, in the moments of need, where do we find help? Where do we find hope? We find hope in the person of God and his heart toward us. God, you're good. God, you're here. God, you're near. Those are all rehearsals of biblical truth. And God, you love me. And that's your heart for me. That's, exi- that's, a, that's a modern day illustration of exactly what Lamentations 3 is all about. As we choose to set our mind on the truth about God, here's what'll happen. Your faith will grow in him. Your faith will grow in him. And we know Hebrews speaks to us that faith is the essence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we know without faith, it is impossible to please God. You've gotta draw near to him. You've gotta believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And so as you choose to trust, You set your mind on the truth about God and you see your faith growing in your heart. Today, I want to ask you, knowing his good heart, will you release your situations and your very self into his able hands? This is an invitation from God today. So as we close and our worship team comes to lead us in response, I I want to invite you right now, some of you, some of you today are in the midst of just dealing with some stuff in the season. Things are hard, things are broken. Things are discouraging, things are disappointing. Maybe it's something from your past or maybe it's something in your present and here's what I'm asking you to consider today. As you cry out to God, are you still holding on to that thing? Are you, have you released it? Like really released it? The invitation from God today is to learn to trust. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things we don't understand. There's a lot of things we don't understand. But the most important question has been answered. Does he love you? Is he faithful? Is he trustworthy? 
Is he good? Is he merciful? Yes, he is. He is. He is worthy of your trust. How do we know? Look at Jesus. So today you can come and you can release yourselves because you know his good heart. And you can release your situations and your suffering into his able hands. So I'm inviting you now just to come, to come and trust as you gaze at the goodness of his heart in the face of our Savior, Jesus. We've got prayer counselors who will be moving here to the front who will be available to you. We'll all stand and sing this closing song and don't be shy. If you need somebody just to pray over you, pray with you, please come and just use this altar, use one of us. We're here to serve you because we want to lead you to a point where you can sense God's goodness and grace poured out for you in the middle of whatever it is you're going through. So as we sing this song, which is all about an expression of trust, would you stand with me? And would you use this time to just say, God, I trust you. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. Your love is steadfast, your mercies never end. You are good, you are faithful, God, I trust you. Would you bring your trust this morning? Look away from circumstance, look to the cross. Trust him. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.